The rose indicates that God has blessed our church with another covenant child, uh, Chris and Casey Russell. Now, you might not know Chris because he spends a living back in the sound room. He's not here today He's celebrating what God has done in the arrival of Noah Alexander Russell. So a uh, reminder that God has blessed us in this face of love. That's who we are. I mean, God is going to call us to himself and give us this incredible love that he lavishes upon us. A love that's going to change us from the inside out. And now he's calling us, because of who he is, because of what he has done, to love one another. Peter is writing to a church that's being persecuted and suffering for their faith. And oftentimes they feel like they're losing And they feel like that this love that they have for God is causing them to be crushed. But Peter writes and reminds them that because of the ultimate face of love, the face of God's own son, Jesus, that we have victory. That our greatest enemy, death itself, has been defeated. That our sins have been washed away. And that we can have life in him. And it's a victory no matter what odds. No matter what you come here experiencing, no matter what baggage you bring, no matter what the world will tell you, no matter how much you feel like you're losing, in Christ, we win. And we have victory. And he's reminded us of that. Now he turns the corner and he says, now, therefore, live the rest of your life, the rest of the time you have as the face of love, which is living out the will of God. Last week, Peter tells us, no longer should we live like those who don't know God. We should put away all that they live for and that sin and that lust that naturally that's what we long for. And now we shall live for him. And living for him means loving one another. Let's turn in this letter as we have been making our way through to 1 Peter 4. And we're going to read today 1 Peter 4, verses 7 through 9. By the way, this is what happens when you preach through a book. i got pages falling out. James is gone. We preached through that. I have all those pages falling out. Probably a good sign. Reading, Remembering that we're reading God's very own inerrant, infallible word. Peter writes through the inspiration of the Spirit in verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. And above all, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. And he's quoting here Proverbs 10. Above all, be fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. Let us pray together. Oh, Father God, we are here today because of the face of love. A face that none of us has ever seen with our eyes. But by your grace and through the power of your spirit, we get to see with faith. And it's the face of your son. Oh God, you could have led with justice and wiped us all out. But instead, 
you've loved us eternally. And you lead with love and mercy. And we know so clearly, because you've demonstrated that love to us, that you have sent to us the face of love. And as we behold that face in faith, our lives have been changed from the inside out. And oh, Father God, how we need to be reminded afresh of his love for us and his call for us to love one another. So God, would you come with the power of your spirit and would you speak? And would you be pleased to speak through a broken sinner like me? Would you open up our ears to hear your voice? And Father, would you supernaturally open up our minds to understand your word? And Father, would you soften our hearts to embrace your truth? And would you empower our feet to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel? Father, the things that are said that are true, that contain the good news of the gospel, would you use those things to make us more like Jesus? And God, the things that are just my opinion or that are wrong, may they quickly fall away and be forgotten. We pray that you and you alone receive glory and we receive great joy and challenge. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Just last week, if you were reading the newspaper or listening to the news, you may have heard this headline. It's kind of a familiar headline, maybe a headline we've heard in the past. But even this week, on the front page of the Orlando Sentinel, it declared that Al-Qaeda in Iraq has declared again that it is war against Christianity. And the West will go on until Islam takes over the world. This was following Pope Benedict XVI's comment, quoting, quoting, he wasn't even saying something, he was actually quoting a medieval text that was characterizing some of Prophet Muhammad's teachings as being evil and inhumane, and a quote that was calling Islam a religion spread by the sword. It was just more fodder for those who aren't with us. To hate us. It was just more fodder for them to say, it is war. War is being declared on the Christians. Well, this isn't new. Really, this was happening in Peter's day. I mean, they were living in a culture that was declaring war on Christianity too. I mean, they were watching these Christians live among them and they were so weird and the, the reality that they worshiped this Jesus. They didn't worship all their idols and they, these Christians they, they decided to no longer uh, uh, live for the flesh and the lust of men. And there was a war declared on them. The ones in which Peter was writing, there were those who were losing their life because they believed in the face of love. They were losing their life because the faith that, that was in their heart by God's grace of this Jesus and it was causing them to live out a life of love to him and love to one another it was so radically different that some of them were suffering greatly, persecuted, even to the point of death. But Peter was telling them in the midst of this war, in the midst of this storm, in the midst of the, the parts that really, really still hurt and were still broken, he was calling us to live for the will of God. And what he's calling us to this is this. It's not a call to war. It's a call to love. 
God has called us to love God, to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. But not just love God, God was calling us to love one another. He was calling us to fight the war that rages all around us, but be the face of love in that war. To fight, not with weapons like swords and clubs and guns, but to fight with love. How'd you feel when you read that article or maybe heard that article? How'd you feel? I mean, living here in the States, doesn't it seem as we live out our Christianity here that that war declared against us is somewhere over there? I mean, I don't know about you, but I kind of felt sorry for those that are in harm's way and those who will probably see the face of wrath as they live out their faith. But really, it didn't affect a whole lot of my daily life. Does it affect a lot of yours? Does the reality that there's a group of people that will say there's a war on Christianity really affect our daily lives? Well, 9-11 reminds us that this, that war does reach our soil. But doesn't it still seem a bit removed? You see, the war against Christianity that we battle is not this war of flesh and blood like some are battling even today. Do you know that today, even today, there are those who are in harm's way because of their faith in Christ? But we don't battle with that. You see, our battle is a spiritual one. And the attack... The attack that's happening here on the home front is the attack of our lust, the attack of our flesh. Last week, Peter exhorted us that we are to live for the will of God, no longer living. He's telling us, listen, no longer live like that outside world lives. They don't know the face of love. They don't know my son. They've rejected him. They are going to live their lives naturally, pursuing what they think will bring them life. It's going to be their lust. It's going to be their drunkenness. They're going to say, basically, let's live and eat and party. For tomorrow we die. And he's telling us, listen, we've seen the face of love. We know the truth. The truth has set us free. Therefore, live radically different. Live a life of love. No more sensuality, Peter said last week. No more lust, drunkenness, carousing, and idolatries. But does that war still rage? Watching TV ads, even, even this weekend. And you know, the weekends are great because you turn on the TV and it should be filled with what? Sports. <laughs> Pathetic, isn't it? But even watching them, I, I just was, uh, ESPN now owned by ABC. And ABC has uh, their new series that they're promoting And it's amazing what you will see on advertisements. It's amazing what you'll see of what we are glamorizing. We are glamorizing as a culture our lust. And the call is this, not to love our neighbors. The call is this, but to lust after your neighbor's desperate wife. The call for us is the same that Peter was calling for the early church. It was this, listen, We are to love God and we are to love one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Do we give a lot of reason to love one another? Is it easy to love one another? Does it come naturally? I mean, naturally, do we look into one another's lives and say, man, it's just so easy to love you. It's so easy to embrace you. No, in reality, we give each other a multitude of reasons not to love one another because you and I, why? Because you and I are filled with a multitude of sins. 
We live our lives thinking it's all about us. We live our lives selfishly with selfish ambition. We give one another a multitude of reasons why not to love. You know what we're good at? Seeing those multitude of sins. And you know what we're good at? Judging those multitude of sins. And just looking at one another and start saying, let me, let me just point out, and maybe we don't have the courage to do that in front of each other, face to face. Maybe it's just behind our backs. But I know I have that propensity to do it. I have the propensity to look at you and, and sometimes say, well, you know what? You have this wrong with you and you have that. And that about your personality just drives me crazy. You do it about me? <laughs> I'm sure. Do we lead with love or do we see the multitude of sins with one another? And you know what we want to do? We want to we bring justice to, your, to each other's sins. We want to see you pay. I want to see you pay sometimes for your sins. And forget covering them up. I want to expose them. And sometimes it's really pathetic in ways I want to do that. I mean, have you ever been behind somebody who's a little bit up in age that's driving in the wrong lane? Do you want to lead with love there or do you want to expose a multitude of sins? I mean, they're clearly in the wrong lane. And just get over and get out of the way. Well, who gave you the license anyway? How many people have screamed at old ladies in cars? I mean, it's unbelievable. And what do I want to do? It's so easy for me to lead with judgment and not with love. And that's the easy way. But there's so many ways in my life where I want to judge others and not love. How in the world can we lead with love that covers a multitude of sins? And let me tell you, listen. If you hear nothing else, listen to this. There's only one reason to love one another. There's only one reason to love one another. How many reasons? There's really only one reason to love one another, and it's Jesus. Jesus loves us with an eternal love that rescues us. Jesus loves us with a love that would give his very life for us. Jesus loves us with an incredible love that truly would cover our multitude of sins. I mean, we think about it for a minute. We think about the fact that we have given God a multitude of reasons to be mad at us. We have given God a multiple reasons to be wrathful for us and to hate us. We have given God a multitude of reasons to kill us. But there's such good news. The God who is and the God who creates leads with love. And how do we know that? We see it in the face of his son. We know it because Jesus lives. We know it because we've seen by God's grace through faith, the face of love. That Jesus would love us enough to become one of us. He'd love us enough to enter into our pain. He'd love us enough to be broken for us. He'd love us enough to do all that which we failed to do and complete the Father's will perfectly. He loved us enough to go to the cross and to give up his life and his blood to uh, cover our sins. He loves us enough to send the Holy Spirit into our lives and give us new life and remind us that we got a God who's good and a God who loves us to set you free. We have one reason to be loved. It's because Jesus loved those like us who have multitude of sins. And he loved us enough that he covered those multitude of sins. And he's washed us clean. And now, because of those multitude multitude of sins that have been forgiven, we have a multitude of reasons to love and to lead with love because he 
led with love for us. In verse 7, Paul's, or Peter's reminding us that there's an urgency here. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit, and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. God is calling us to have a love with urgency, loving with urgency, because all, the end of all things is near. He's basically saying, have this mindset that the end is about to come. And therefore, because the end is near, that we need to love one another with urgency. What this probably meant to those that Peter was writing to, that, that Jerusalem was about to be sacked. The temple was about to be destroyed. Everything they knew about their religion and their religious life and the sacrificial system was going to go away. The end of all things is near. But hang on, hang on to the reality that God wins through Christ. Some 2,000 years have, uh, have expanded or elapsed since Peter said the end of all things is near. But it's true. My brothers and sisters in Christ, our Savior has resurrected from the dead. He lives. All that needs to have taken place has taken place. He could come back at any moment. And there's a reality that, that we don't know how much time we have. And Peter's telling us there's a sense of urgency. There's a sense of urgency because of time, because the end is near. Therefore, urgently love one another. Time is of the essence. We don't know how much time we have. And when time is of the essence, it creates a certain mindset. I remember before the business world, I worked with a company called Paychex, payroll processing company for small businesses. And most of our businesses came through accountants and CPAs. That's who we called on primarily. And it's amazing to see their office change once tax season comes in. I mean, really, it's a different office. It's a different, the, the entire environment is different for most of the year. But when you walk in to an office right before tax season, you can see there's a great sense of urgency. April 15th is coming. Then they know they got to get all things done and then they're, they're working with great focus. And they're, 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 they just have this urgency that they got to get their work done. That's what God is calling us. Listen, we don't know how much time we have. We got to have focus. Focus to love one another well. How many of y'all have seen the movie The World Trade Center? Nicolas Cage, a uh, powerful movie. And there's a scene in that movie I won't forget. It's at the end of the movie where uh, the loved ones of those who have gotten word that their, their loved one they're, they're, are rescued and they've been put to a, rescued, rushed to a hospital. And they show a scene in the hospital where there's a mother who is frantically looking and pacing for her lost son. Mom, can you relate? Can you imagine that tragedy, knowing that where your son was? And just urgently, frantically wondering, is he coming home? In a moment, in a glimpse of time, she's able to articulate to passers-by. I yelled at him as he left today. And of course she didn't know. I mean, who would know? But again, she's living with the reality that she thought she had all kinds of time. She had all kinds of time to love. And now it might be gone. And oh, how she wished that she knew so that urgently she could communicate that love. I tell you, when time is of the essence, it's time for us to be focused. It's time to us to be alert. I must love well now. God is calling us. We don't know when the end is coming. But stay focused with silent judgment. Stay sober and alert and pray. Pray for one another and remind one another so that we can love one another to cover a multitude of sins. 
when I was writing the sermon, I started off with the outline. I was going to say, live with urgency. My, my actual point was live with a two-minute drill mindset. But I thought, you know, I've given you a couple of sports analogies recently, so I'll back off of that. But it's a good one, so you're still going to hear a little bit of it, all right? All right, I'll take that as a yes. At the end of the game, they stopped the clock at two minutes at football. And they said, listen, there's, now there's two minutes to go. And really, the whole game plan changes. The whole, the whole focus of the game changes. There is a sense of urgency because the end is near and the outcome is yet to be determined. And then you go to a no huddle and, and you start calling audibles and all of a sudden you can see, and really um, most of our wives will say, why do you even bother watching until two minutes? That kind of gets exciting until that point. But Christians, it's not that we're called to live with a two-minute mindset because really there's some, there's some fallacy to that. You see, there, there is a sense of urgency, but they don't know that the outcome has been determined. And sometimes it's hard to focus. When you don't know the outcome's been determined and we don't know what's going to happen, sometimes it's hard to be sober. Sometimes it's hard to be clear-minded. But here's a beautiful reality for us, Christian. You ready for this? We don't know how much time we have, but Scripture tells us we're in the last days. But we also know this for sure. We win. The outcome is not in question. He loves us. He'll never stop loving us. He's rescued us. He set us free so we can live our lives loving one another with urgency, but knowing the outcome. That our God reigns. And that we one day will see the face of love. We need to not only love with this urgency, we need to love with fervency. Look at verse 8. Above all, numero uno, the purpose of this, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. For the Christian, we have this primacy not of war. We have this primacy of love. The commandments can be summed up this way. The greatest commandment, to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, with all our souls, with all our minds, with all of our strengths, and to love one another as ourselves. Paul would look at this incredible triad of of faith, hope, and love. And so clearly in 1 Corinthians 13, say this, the greatest of these, you can have all kinds of knowledge, you can know scripture inside and out, you can have all kinds of faith, but if we don't have love, we're nothing. We've missed it. Because God is love. He's called us to embrace him in love and to embrace one another in love. In this fervency, we see that love is primary and love must have this fervency. What does that mean? What does that fervency mean? Well, we have an F of fervency. I'm going to give you three E's that will explain what this fervency is. And one is this, eagerly loving That word fervency means this, eagerly loving, loving with actions, wanting to show, almost on the edge of our chairs, wanting to show love for one another. Don't we typically live our lives waiting to see if someone deserves our love? Don't we typically live our lives saying, okay, I'm going to see how they act, and if they respond good enough, then I'm going to love them? And this is this fervent love that God has called us to one another. It says, get on the edge of your seat and be ready to love. Lead with love. Be eager to show love. And what are we usually eager to show? Judgment. You know, let me tell you where you're wrong. And let me tell you what you've, how you've messed up. Let me tell you how you can improve. And, 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 and let me tell you what a sinner you are. And he says, no, don't, don't be eager to judge. Be eager to love. Be eager to lead with love with one another. How is it with you? Does that characterize your life and your relationships? Are you eagerly loving one another? You know what it makes me think of? <laughs> My golden retrievers. I tell you, they're eager to love. 
no matter what I have done for that day, when I come in, they're eager to love me and eager to eat my remote control and eager to eat my neighbor's cat like they did last week. And did I beat them from an inch of their life, as far as you know, but they're still eager to love. Fervency in love. What does that mean? It means eagerly loving. Not only that, it means earnestly loving. Loving with intensity. You know what this word is? This is the same word that is describing Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the same word, that earnestly praying, that Jesus used. You remember that prayer? Remember when he realized that he was about to become the sin of the world? Do you remember that prayer when he realized for the first time of all eternity he was going to be separated from his father? Do you know that prayer when he knew what he was about to endure? And there he is praying to the father. His friends are asleep. And he's praying with such fervency, such earnestness, that he's sweating blood. And he's crying out to the father saying, Father, take this cup from me. Take it away. I know what I'm about to become. I'm about to become the sin of the world. That's the urgency. That's the fervency that Peter is telling us. But he would, the face of love would love us so much. He would say, thy will be done. And if the only way they'll be rescued is the shedding of my blood. Oh, how we love our own. Thy will be done. Earnestly loving one another. That's the way Christ has loved us. He has eagerly loved us. He's eagerly, he could have led with judgment, but he led with mercy. Eagerly, he loves us. Eagerly, he loves to show us love. Earnestly, he loves us and desires to show us the depth of that love. And the third E that describes this fervency is enduringly loving us. There's no respite. Listen, there's no respite to his love. And he's called us now to have no respite to loving one another. Love with endurance. Love without letting up. Love without giving up. And maybe of the three, this is the hardest for me. You know, okay, God, you want me to lead with love and be eager to love and be on the edge of my chair and be there. And okay, you want me to be earnest and not just say, hey, I hope you're having a good day, but really care. But enduringly? What if they don't love me back? What if their personality still really, really bugs me? Enduringly love? With no respite? Listen, Christian, the only way we get this, the only reason this is not a moral message that could be heard at any synagogue, temple, around, is because of the face of love that has loved us this way. Do we get it? You see, the multitude of our sins have been covered, and the only way that they can be covered is in the blood of Christ. And because he has eagerly loved us, and because he's loved us with uh, earnestness, and because he's enduringly loving us, we are called to love one another in response. And in verse 9, he says this, that we are to be loving without grumbling, be hospitable to one another without complaint. And what probably is happening in this text is those people that have been displaced, they've been driven out of their home because of their love of Christ because of their faith in God through Jesus Christ, they've been thrown out and they have nowhere else to go. And now here they are showing up in different cities and here's what Peter's saying. Open up everything you have and give to them and don't you dare mumble about it. I don't care if your house is clean. I don't care what's on your agenda. I don't care what this week looks like for you. Love them without grumbling. Ouch. 
Do I have to open my home to you? I don't want all y'all in my home. There's times where I just want my home to be a haven, and there's times where it should be. But he's basically calling us, whatever I have given to you, whatever I have given to you, whatever I put in your hands, even your home, give it away. And love one another with it. And open up your lives. And love without murmuring. How can we do that? Because the Father has given up His Son. And He opened up His life. And the blood flowed. And it covered the multitude of our sins. And we've been set free. We have life and life abundantly because we've been radically loved, perfectly loved. We now can love one another and be that face of love. We have some supper clubs that you can sign up for that those of you who are wondering, is God calling you to open up your house? He is. And uh, we can love one another well. And let's continue to be reminded that God has called us to love, not to war. God has called us to be that face of love to a world that desperately needs to see it. And he's called us to love one another and to lean on one another. So as we leave here tonight, today, we're going to sing. As we sing, we're going to sing a song that the world sings, but we're going to know the truth. That we only love because he loves us. And he set us free. And we've seen that face of love. And now as we go, we lean on one another and love one another. So as the worship team comes forward, let me pray for us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. God, thank you. Thank you. For a love that would not let us go. God, thank you for being a God who had every right to lead with justice and wrath but chose to lead with mercy and love. And Father, of all the people that you've created, you've set a love on all of them because they all bear your image, but your own, those by your grace who've been saved through the work of Christ. We know the face of love. And we have the privilege of being that face of love. Father, forgive us because the multitude of our sins drive us to judge one another, not love one another. Show us clearly the face of Christ so that we can acknowledge that he's covered our sins, so that we can love one another well. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.